I'd like you to uh, draw your attention to Romans chapter 4 this morning. You don't need to take your Bibles out. What we're going to do is we're going to read this passage of Scripture together. If you're visiting with us for the first time here at Parkside, our middle name is Bibles, so we have a strong emphasis on the Scriptures. We believe that the Word of God is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and we believe that the Scriptures are the center of our life, and we want to feed upon that. And so this morning, we're going to ask that you participate and that you read with me together this portion of Scripture from Romans chapter 4. I'm going to be reading the light print by way of the white uh, words that are up there, and then when we get to anything that is yellow, yellow means that we together are going to read that together. So let's stand together and let's read this portion of Scripture as we prepare our hearts and our minds for God's word. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 and following. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Without weakening in his faith, he, Abraham, faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Thank you. You may be seated. God's clock of the ages. In the beginning, God created. And when God created the unseen God that lives outside of time, placed time within his creation. Over these last couple of weeks, we have together began a series entitled God's Clock of the Ages. A number of weeks ago, we began our study in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where we saw that God's plural created, singular, that there is a plurality within the Godhead. And God created everything to show us the unseenness of his heart and his life. Two weeks ago, we looked at the Adamic covenant. That is the promise that God gave Adam in the garden. 
And we saw that Adam and Eve were placed in a beautiful garden, a perfect environment where there, where there was no sin. And we saw some of the different elements that made up this Adamic covenant. We saw that when Adam and Eve fell into sin, they became prisoners of themselves. They became God. They wanted to take God's place. And now the bars of sin surrounded their hearts and they needed to be saved from themselves. And because of that sin, there was a curse that was placed on not only Adam and Eve, but of all creation. Last week, 3 o'clock, we saw the Noahic covenant. That is the promise that God gave Noah. The promise that God would not flood the earth again. The promise that there would be eight people that were saved in this ark, that God started over again, and God gave a number of promises that we looked at last week in the Noahic Covenant. This week, four o'clock, brings us to the Abrahamic Covenant that we just read about in Romans chapter 4. The promise that God gave to Abraham. In our Bibles, you will find the Abrahamic covenant from Genesis 12 to Genesis chapter 25. Remember that the book of Genesis means beginning. The author is Moses. Moses is writing for us the covenants that God began with Adam, with Noah, and now with Abraham. And this Abrahamic covenant is a tremendous covenant that has some very significant elements to it that we want to look at this morning. Some of the different components of the story of Abraham, I'd like to illustrate for you in a number of ways, because the story of Abraham has a number of different parts to it. But this morning, I'd like to share with you three different parts by way of introducing the person of Abraham to us. I'd like to ask a couple this morning that's here that you probably know if you've been around Parkside Bible Church. I'm going to ask Al and Gina uh, Tennant to come up this morning. I think, are they here this morning? Al and Jenny, would you like to come up this morning? And um, uh, I'd like to ask a couple of questions of Al and Jenny. Uh, I've already talked to these folks. I've already put them at ease. They knew that they were going to be asked, so... If you would like to stand behind these, uh, or if you'd like to sit, whatever is most comfortable for you. You want to sit? There you go. Al, you want to stand behind your wife, or would you like to sit? She usually stands behind me. Okay. I'm going to grab a microphone, so don't go anywhere, okay? Do you have a microphone there? Good. We're going to let you use this one. It's a little. Just, I don't want to say just backs or heads. I see faces. It's a good-looking group, isn't it? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, Al and Jenny, I appreciate you coming up because I wanted to ask you a couple of questions, um, just by way of introducing uh, this theme that we want to look at this morning. How many years have you folks uh, been married? Use the microphone if you would. <laughs> You're not going to be able to speak. Fifty-eight years. 58? Coming 58 up. years. Yeah, you're good. And what's your anniversary date? June 21. June 21, yep. 58. 58, 58. right. Yeah. 58 Can we ask you this morning, uh, 
how old you folks are? Oh, sure. Oh, well. <laughs> Use the uh, microphone. Uh, later in the summer, we'll be on our way to 84. 84. Both of you are going to be? We'll be 83, and then we'll be on, on our way. And 84. <laughs> next year. <laughs> it's getting close. It's getting close. Um, let me ask you this. Um, what would happen if we were to say to you this morning, a year from now, you're going to have a baby. <laughs> oh, babies are so cute. They're so precious. <laughs> but really? <laughs> what do you think, Gail? Who are you trying to kid? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine if you had a baby at 84 years old? Um, when I asked them this question yesterday, they had the same response. In fact, you laughed. <laughs> like Sarah. <laughs> because that's what Sarah did. When God came to Abraham and asked them the question about having a baby, it was a miracle child, wasn't it? Yeah. I hope and pray that you don't have a baby. <laughs> Half as much as I'm praying about that. Say that again, El. Not half as much as I'm praying about that. <laughs> Can you say thank you to these folks and just appreciate you? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. I think we got to go buy some diapers. <laughs> go buy some diapers, Gina. I'm going to give you back this microphone. The story of Abraham is a miracle baby story. And we're going to see that in the Abrahamic covenant. It really is a fascinating story about a man who was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old and the couple was promised a child. And out of this child would come a nation. We're going to see some of that as we unfold it and unpack it within the scriptures. There's a second story that I would like to share with you by way of uh, another object lesson. This is a true $100 bill that I brought, and I want to put this on the chair this morning. This $100 bill, I'd like to ask you this morning, do you have a job? And if you have a job, how many of you get paid for your job? Can I see your hands, please? How many of you work for free? Can I see your hands? You work for free? Really, you don't get paid for what you do? That's a volunteer. I'm, I'm talking about a job. A job. Do you, get, do, you get, do you work for free? No, you don't. None of you do. None of you do. Because if you have a job, you get paid for what you do, and that's an obligation that you expect, right? Of course. You wouldn't go to work and tell your employer, oh, by the way, you don't have to pay me today. That's ridiculous. You and I know that there is an obligation that we have with our jobs, with our work. The story of Abraham is all about a story of giftedness. And I want to just put this $100 bill here to remind ourselves as we unpack this that it's about a miracle child, but it's also, and what we're going to see is the Abrahamic covenant is a, is a covenant of faith. Believe it. It's a gift. The third element of the story that I'd like to share with you, the story of Abraham, 
I'm trying to get my ring off, is I'd like you to think about the story of Abraham as being a story of what is your most prized possession. What do you value more than anything? And I want you to think about this this morning. If I were to press you and ask you the question, what is most important in your life outside of God? What is the most prized possession that you hold on to? Is it your health? Is it the person that sits next to you? Because I'm going to put my ring right here. This is probably the most prized possession that I have is my wife right here. Outside of God, she's the most precious thing I have. Abraham's story is going to bring us to the point where he's going to ask you and I to offer up the most precious thing that you have. Because anything other than God becomes an idol. And we're going to see that the story of Abraham ultimately is going to say, are you willing to sacrifice the very precious thing that you have and say, I will put God above all others and I will not hold on to anything else. And what God is going to do to Abraham, he's going to strip away everything, even the precious child of Isaac. God is going to come to him and say, Abraham, offer up your son Isaac as a sacrifice to me. Whew. The story of Abraham is not an easy story, but it's a covenant that God makes with humanity, and it really is an easy story if you live by faith. We struggle with our relationship with God. We try. We do all these things to try and appeal to God, and God is going to come to us and say, look, I'm going to do everything for you. In fact, we might even be in the church like Alyssa for years and we're sitting here as a young teenager, and we think that we've got a relationship with God, and you know what it is? It's mom and dad's relationship. We've never bent the knee to Jesus Christ. We've never submitted our heart and our life to God. We have not been broken by our sin. And the story of Abraham is a wonderful covenant of grace and of faith. Let's take our Bibles and let's turn to this passage of Scripture in Genesis chapter 12, beginning with verse 1, where we find this wonderful story of Abraham's covenant that is made to him. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Let's unpack this and see some of the different elements that make up this Abrahamic covenant. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Notice some of the elements of this covenant. First, we find that God is going to bless the nation of Israel. This is the beginning of the nation of Israel. Abraham is the father of the nation of Israel. We're going to find that this nation is going to be from Genesis 12 
through the rest of the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, God is going to deal with this one nation, Israel. They are still on the map today. And we're going to see that God is not done with the nation of Israel. God will change the name, not to Abraham, but their name will be changed through Isaac. Take your Bibles and turn over to Genesis chapter 32. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are what we call the patriarchs of the nation of Israel. In Genesis chapter 32, Jacob, I'm sorry, Isaac, wrestles with the angel of God and his name is changed to Israel. Look at Genesis chapter 32, beginning with verse 27. The man asked him, that is, this angel asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then he said to him, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Penel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Isaac wrestled with God, and God changed his name from Isaac to Israel because there was a struggle that humanity, that is Israel, had with God. Israel is going to be a nation that's going to struggle with God. Struggle to see who God is as he reveals himself through the covenant. Why Israel? As we saw back in the Adamic covenant back in Genesis 3, there was a promised Messiah that was coming. And through this nation, we're going to see that it's through this nation that God is going to bring about this promise of this one who will come as the Messiah. Notice that in this uh, story here, at least in this uh, nation of Israel, their offspring will be countless. We find that Abraham is told that the offspring that come from this nation will be countless. You won't be able to count. Look at Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. There's a number of places where God is going to restate this covenant that he makes with Abraham. Chapter 15, verse 5. The Bible says, look he, told him out, he took him outside and he said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. If it's a clear night tonight, go out and look at the stars. Or go to the beach today and take a handful of sand and count the grains. God says to Abraham, as many as the stars are in the sky or the grains of sand that you can count, that's what your offspring will be. This nation will be great. They will be numerous, and they will be God's people. Look at the second part of this covenant. We're told in chapter 12, verse 3, that God will bless the nations through this nation, Israel. We see that Israel will be a blessing to the rest of the nations. I'd like you to think of it this way. Think of a funnel. If I had a funnel this morning that had a big opening on the top, and then the funnel came down to a narrow part, and then it funneled out. I'd like you to see Israel as being the funnel that God uses to bless them, but they become a blessing, and that funnel comes down to one person, their Messiah. This nation is promised a Messiah, 
and this one is going to come, and through this funnel, through Israel, through their Messiah, this one person will bless not only Israel, but all of the nations. The Abrahamic covenant is wide. The Abrahamic covenant covers everyone. Whether yellow, uh, red, and yellow, black, and white, they are precious in God's sight. Every soul matters to God. God cares for all. And so we see this covenant that God makes with Israel through Abraham to be a blessing to the rest of the nations. Notice the third characteristic. God will bless Israel, chapter 12, verse 7, with a land. Go back to chapter 12 and look at verse 6 and 7. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the east, as far as the site of the tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Israel is promised a land that is part of this Abrahamic covenant. It's interesting that the land theme is repeated in chapter 13, verse 14 through 17, in Genesis chapter 15, verses 7 through 11, in chapter 15, verses 18 through 21, and also in chapter 17 of Genesis. Four other times, Abraham is going to be reminded, Abraham, God says to him, Abraham, this is my covenant with you, and the land is a part of that covenant. If you've been watching the news over the last couple of years, go back a decade, you're going to find that the struggle for the land continues. In the Palestinian Pulse, a magazine about a year and a half ago, there was an article written entitled, Land, the Heart of the Conflict Between Palestine and Israel. And here's what this article says. Two weeks ago, Israel's Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, made a statement declaring that the crux of the Palestinian-Israel conflict was not land, but his country's very existence. The timing of this unusual statement that goes against conventional wisdom or even logic was important. It came on the heels of an Arab League delegation declaration that the land swaps would be applicable should Israel agree to end the conflict based on the 1967 borders. This article from the Palestinian perspective questions the comments that uh, Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was making and saying, it's basically a land issue. <laughs> they understand that. The Jews understand that. That's been the conflict that goes all the way back here to Genesis 12. It's a conflict that continues today, and it goes all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant. Before Abraham had this miracle child, Isaac, Abraham tried to do things in his own strength, and he had a child through Hagar. The child's name was uh, Ishmael. And Ishmael was 13 years older than Isaac. We many times try and take things into our own hands. God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you with a child through your seed. And what does Abraham do? He gets impatient with God. And he says, you know what, God? 
Maybe I'll take things into my own hands. And he does. In his own conflict of believing that God was going to be faithful continues to be a conflict today. Does the land belong to Ishmael or to Isaac? To the Jews or the Palestinians? God blesses Israel with a land. And the fourth characteristic that I want to draw your attention to is found in chapter 17. Look at chapter 17, verse 9. This covenant is spread out over a number of chapters, so we have to look at it in pieces here. But this is one of the parts, one of the elements of the Abrahamic covenant. That is that God is going to seal this covenant, covenant with circumcision. In chapter 17, verse 9, notice what the Bible says. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep, every male among you shall be circumcised. The covenant of circumcision becomes part of this Abrahamic covenant that God has with the people of Israel. It is a daily reminder for the Jewish people. It is a daily reminder of the covenant that God made through Abraham. And it affects every part of their life, their private life and their public life. This covenant was a daily reminder that this is something that God promised the nation of Israel. I said to you earlier, and I hope you caught this, the Abrahamic covenant does not stop in the Old Testament. It goes through into the New Testament. Why can we say that? Because in the Gospels, Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day like every good Jewish boy would be circumcised. This Abrahamic covenant was one that was not only in the Old Testament, but it is also found in the New Testament by way of God still working with the nation of Israel. And so we see here that this covenant consists of these four elements, there are others, but these are the four main elements of this Abrahamic covenant. In looking at the scriptures, how does this covenant with Abraham affect us? I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I'd like to share with you very quickly um, some of you I know watch the clock and I know that you want to be out right at 12 and I've got two minutes left. So I'm going to ask for your grace to give me two more. Thank you. One person will stay, the rest of you will leave in two minutes. We're heading out for lunch. That's okay. In, Romans chapter, in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 19, we have the New Testament describing for us some of this Abrahamic covenant. Listen carefully to some of the application of what this covenant means for us. Abraham is known as the man of faith. We live by faith. That covenant is still true for us today. God is asking us to live by faith. We are saved by faith, but we are also sanctified by faith. Look at what Abraham learned. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. The Bible says, 
By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would, not, would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and he went. Faith calls for obedience. Abraham was asked to leave the land of Ur. It was probably the land, the area where probably somewhere the Garden of Eden was. Because there are rivers that go around that area. The Euphrates River, the Titus River are two rivers that are in that. God asked him to go from a land that he didn't know about. And God many times will ask us to go into areas that we've never been before. How do we respond? Abraham obeyed. Look at a second way that he responds. Look at chapter 11, verse 10. The Bible says, for he was looking, Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Abraham, by faith, looked forward. Faith looks forward. It doesn't look back necessarily. Abraham was looking forward. We lead from the future. We act in the now. We need to be people of faith. And if we're people of faith, that means that we're looking forward. Why do we try and drive our lives by looking in the rearview mirror and trying to live life looking in the past? Why is it that something that happened 10 years ago, 20 years ago, we're still looking at that and we're stuck in our faith because we're not looking forward? The man of faith, the woman of faith, sees their faith looking forward. Some of us are stuck in the past. And our faith is stuck there because we can't get out of whatever we're dealing with and not believing the promises that God says, will you believe me? I've forgiven you. Will you forgive that person? No, I won't. I'm going to hold on to this until I die. And we stay stuck in our faith. I would even ask the question, are we even saved? Do we really believe what we say we believe? And if I understand following Jesus, and if I understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus, just in this one area, forgive others as I have forgiven you. And if I can't forgive others, it might just be that I haven't received his forgiveness this way because I can never give what I haven't received. Faith says, I believe. Faith receives from God. I believe it, I hold it, then I give it to other people. And we try and we try and we try to do all of this stuff. And it's not about trying, it's about trusting it's about believing. It's about being people of faith. Oh, God, help us to believe and not to look in the rear view mirror of our life. Some of us are crashing and burning because we're looking backwards. Abraham had a faith that looked forward. Look at a third characteristic of this promise. It says in chapter 11, verse 11, he says, By faith Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. He considered God faithful who made the promise. 
our faith is built on the character of God. And if God says it, we believe it. God loves you. Do we believe it? No, I'm still trying to work for my salvation. I'm still trying to, God, do you please, are, do I do enough good things for you to accept me? And we, we do all of this, and what God says is, will you believe the impossible? Because that's basically the story of Abraham. Will you believe the promises of God? The focus becomes on God. Listen to how Rick Warren describes this in a devotional thought this past Thursday. I want to read the whole thing to you because this is very convicting. Hold on to your hats and put your seatbelts on. This is going to get right to the core of you and I in our hearts. So listen to this very carefully. Rick Warren says it this way. Whenever we face out-of-control situations, we tend to go to one of two extremes. For some of you, the more out of control your life gets, the harder you try to control it. Some of you do the exact opposite. You just give up. You have a pity party and you invite yourself to it. Be careful, Rick Warren. It's too close. Both of these reactions to stress are foolish. They don't work. Instead of being a victim or becoming hyper-controlling, Pray the prayer of surrender. I surrender all. That's my observation about what we sang earlier. We don't just sing these songs to fill space. If we're just filling space with music, we could do a concert up here for two hours and we can be entertained with what we say. Oh, that was really good. And we pat ourselves on the back and we say, oh, wasn't that a great service? No. I want more. I want more to my faith than that. It's not just here in these walls. My faith needs to be out there where I live life. Is it for you? Some of us aren't sure yet. We're not supposed to clap in church. That's not, that's not kosher because that's a legalistic. Can't do that. Yes, you can. Why don't you show that if you believe it? Say amen, clap, do whatever it takes. I would suggest that you leave this place and you say, I'm going to believe the promises of God. That's where God is going to say, that's a good job because you're believing in my faith. Listen to how Rick Warren continues. The number one reason we are under stress is because we are in conflict with God. We are trying to control things that only God can control. We can't control our husband, our kids, our wife, our job, our future, our past, or any of that stuff. The more we try to do it, the more we are trying to play God. And that puts us in opposition to God. Not only are we going to lose that conflict, listen to this last statement, but we are also going to be tired. You know why most of us are tired? I'm just going to throw this out. <laughs> because we've lost perspective on who God is. And we are trying to work ourselves to the bone to say, God, is this enough? Not only for our service in the church, but also for salvation. Some of us think that we just have to come to church, punch the clock, I'm done, I'm gone, I'm out of here, and now I can live my life the way I want because that's what Christianity is. That is not Christianity. That is not following Christ. Is it? I mean, you tell me. Has the church lost its effectiveness in the culture today, I say yes. Why? 
at the fourth characteristic that I find here in Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 17, the Bible says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned (laughs) that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. (laughs) The fourth characteristic here is that God is asking us to offer up our prized possession. What has God given you that you're clinging to? Some of us are holding on to that which we value more than anything else, more than God, and God is going to strip all of that away. And if God is doing the transforming work that he says he began, this is the promise. What he begins in you when you believe in Christ, you you are saved by faith. That muscle of faith is going to continue and it's going to hopefully strengthen as we grow in Christ. And God will strip everything, everything, everything from your life. And he will say, let me be the center. For some of us, be included. This is not easy theology. Die to self, live in Christ. It is easy if we believe. We put our faith and our trust in the promises of God. The biggest enemy that you and I have is ourselves. Salvation saves us from ourselves and puts Christ at the center. Come. Follow the one that went to the cross on your behalf. And then, my friends, see what he will do. God is at work here. God is doing some remarkable things here. There are testimonies of every week hearing what God is doing in your hearts. I had a couple of people a couple of weeks ago come into my office and they confessed some things that were wrong in their life because they wanted to make it right. That's faith. Working and doing a lot of things that create Christ-likeness. My friends, live by faith. Believe the promises of God. What is God saying for you to believe? If you've come and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I trust that you've been introduced to him. I want to offer salvation to you. Come out of the burden of your prison cell and be saved by the blood of Christ. He died for you. He loves you. He's got a plan and a purpose for you. If you haven't taken that step of faith, young people, I want to speak to some of you young people that have been raised in the church. Don't work out that salvation, but listen to the story of what Alyssa shared with us this morning. Are you just going through the motions? And then for some of us that have made that step of faith, let's continue to live by faith. Some of you are dealing with some really difficult issues. And hopefully our muscle of faith is strengthening and growing. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer, shall we? Father, our prized possession we offer to you. Father, thank you for this covenant that you made with Abraham, the man of faith. Oh God, might might you help us in our unbelief 
and our lack of faith? Would you strengthen us, Father, with the glory of who you are? Because, Father, you've made some amazing promises to us. And oftentimes, Father, they just sit dormant. Stretch us, Father. Continue to mold us. We look forward, Father, to what you're going to do in the days to come. Help us to live with an eye on tomorrow. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.